Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hello, my darlings. Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here today. On today's podcast, it is the second time that the illustrious, delicious Ebony Denise Moore is with us talking about her new book, All the Black Girls Are Activists, which I'm so excited about. Enjoy this podcast, go buy her book, and see you soon. Ebony Denise, you may have just mentioned before we started this recording that your book was supposed to be a romance novel. All the black girls are activists. Yes. Tell us more. Tell us more. <laughs> the the thing that's funny about this is nobody probably, but my best friend knows this, including my publisher, that the that my original idea for All the Black Girls Are Activists was a romance novel. Alexandra, you know this, that I've been going through a season of romance novels. <laughs> yeah. And um, but when I say a season of romance novels, I mean, all I do is read and listen to romance novels. <laughs> it's not a metaphor for something. Every single day for probably like the past year and a half, romance novels. Every single day I find a way to get some in. And um, I I also have been in a major transition in my work. And uh, because some of my background work accidentally was anti-racism education diversity and inclusion, you know, workshops. I was doing a liberation lecture series for a while. And at some point, in fact, in the midst of my work with Alexandra, with you, I realized that I didn't want to be doing this work because if I kept doing this work, the work that I was doing, I wouldn't get to be soft. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted a chance to be a soft Mm -hmm. woman. And race work is just hard work. It's mm-hmm. it's so unfair that people of color, particularly black people, more specifically black women, it's so unfair that we have to exist with this burden of educating all people on everything, you know, but, right. but especially as it pertains to, you know, the intersections of our identity as both women and black in a patriarchal anti-black society. And so I'm I'm doing a lot of work at the time at my altar, you know, at this private, you know, the Ebony Genese Project. And so I'm writing all these like little captions every night on this private Instagram about love and, you know, like the juiciness of it and my longing mm-hmm. for it and my wanting. And in my journaling, which would you know, either lead up to the caption or the caption would inspire my private journaling. I was thinking a lot about how the most revolutionary thing that I could do in my mind at the time was disappear from the scene of anti-racism education and just be in love with a beautiful Black man. Like, like, I don't need to talk about this anymore. In fact, take these little 50,000 followers on social media, on Instagram and, you know, everywhere where else they are 
and just fade to black. Like everybody just kind of be like, where did Ebony Denise go? Oh, she lives in West Africa. She got three children and a husband and she just makes candles. And, (laughs) (laughs) And so I started kind of playing around in my journal a little bit about you know, I, I came to this title, All the Black Girls Are Activists, because I was thinking about how how much Black women deserve that, how much how much it would be revolutionary, you know, and radical and a, a deep liberation practice. If if all the Black women were just like, we just want to be in love. <laughs> we just want to play. We just want to dream. And those things turned into some of the chapter titles for the book, Mm -hmm. the the pursuit of uh, dreaming, the pursuit of softness um, in pursuit of, you know, my body in pursuit of my name. I started thinking about these concepts, these ideas that seem very, very basic, maybe to everybody else, but that when black women pursue it and, and own it and embody it, it is revolutionary because we historically haven't had access to it or um, we have historically not had permission to be just that because there's such an expectation for Black women to be doing all these other things, you know, particularly as a result of the intersections of our identity. So yeah, my original thought about it was that I would write this like soft, juicy love story and I would call it all the black girls are activists and it, and, and it would be, you know, like all, all the black women would be like, yes, let's leave this work and just go pursue love. And then it turned into, you know, what it is now. So what did it turn like from that iteration of the idea of, mm-hmm. okay, it's going to be a bit of a romance novel story. What did it end up turning into? Cause we don't know it's yet. A, <laughs> yeah. It's a collection of essays um, mm-hmm. that is addressing um, basically what I'm considering a fourth wave of womanism. Mm-hmm. Womanism is a, term coined by Alice Walker in her book, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. And um, it's like this four-part definition, um, but they're, they're in all parts of that definition really, really speak to how I identify in my socio-political and spiritual religious um, tool, my tools, my identity, you know, comes from that yeah. language. Loves dance, loves softness, loves roundness, loves the moon. Um is inside of that definition, uh, mm-hmm. inside of that definition, not a separatist except periodically for um, the purpose of health um, is inside that definition. Um, uh, there's a there's an example in definition. A daughter says to her mother, mama, I'm going to Canada and I'm taking you and several other slaves with me. The mother replies to the daughter and says, you wouldn't be the first. So there's like this intergenerational work inside wow. that. So it's a very compre- comprehensive, beautiful definition that Alice Walker um, puts forth and in search of our mother's gardens. But then um, Black women the- theologians um, who were influenced by Black liberation theology years later took the co- took on the language of womanist inside of their the- uh, theology. And so they began to call themselves womanist theologians. And that's the reason why when I talk about womanism, I'm talking about both the sociopolitical, which Alice Walker is really defining and the spiritual religious, which womanist theologians are really defining. Mm. And so I'm saying that we're in a fourth wave of womanism mm. 
because in this wave, womanist scholars and thinkers, my peers, are are suggesting that the actual work is softness. The actual work is rest. The actual work is our wholeness. The actual work is our ease. That is the actual work. And that that is not supplemental to liberation work. The actual work is this. And so each chapter and each essay Mm. uh, is in pursuit of something. So in pursuit of softness really is one of the chapter titles because I'm going through this season of my life over the last few years. And I come to that revelation, like I mentioned a moment ago, I come to that revelation that if I keep doing this, I won't get to be soft. And so I start thinking about really thinking deeply about what is softness to me? What will that look like? What will that feel like? And the more I pursue this idea of softness, the more I realize that Black women do not get to access softness. And and we don't historically have a communal uh, reality that allows for our softness, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I'm even I'm even really defining softness because social media it's become really buzz language. A lot of people talking about softness and soft life. Yeah, I heard I'm you say that. What was the difference between it? Sorry to interrupt you, but like you said something like there was like a buzzy, trendy definition of softness. I'm so not in the Gen Z world. What is it? Tell us. <laughs> yeah. So well, so because people are like, oh, this is the soft life, and they're. And it's really centering luxury, you know, um, or or it's really centering like a certain aesthetic, you know, even even I would even bring in the conversation around like the divine feminine, which, uh-huh. of course, is is language that I don't abhor. But at the same time, it's so trendy it's such a buzz language that we're not all talking about the same thing when we talk about the divine feminine. Totally. So some of the aesthetic of soft life is this. Um, kind of centered around this divine feminine ideology, not even particularly the actual archetype of the divine feminine, but this ideology of what it means and um, and luxury is in that. And, and that is not at all what I'm talking about when I talk about softness. I'm talking about the seed itself. I'm talking about healing my nervous system. I'm talking yeah. about um, being able to fully relax into my bones and, you know, and know that I am I am taken care of. I'm talking about countering this narrative that Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes talks about this uh, stereotype of the strong black woman, and which is which she meshes together as all one word. There's this idea that black women are strong, right? The strong black woman, one word, and and she says there there definitely is the strong black woman, and but really there are black women that happen to be strong, and so when black women are like put into this idea or to this space or to this particular archetype that we are strong. Nobody has space for a soft black woman. Nobody, nobody's even thinking about what a soft black woman looks like or her right to softness or, and so, and so, so much of that expectation calls for black women to respond from our standing self for protection, for self-preservation and not from our seat itself. Like, um, Alexandra, you have been, you know, you and I have had so many conversations about this because this was so much of the work that I was doing when we were working together for like a year and a half. And one of the things that I just thought about as I sat back, you know, just right now talking about this is there's a point when you suggested that I, find some soft black women archetype. And 
so that in that and doing that helped me to really get better language for what I meant when I said soft, because soft for me also wasn't even like my voice is soft or my body is, you know, looks a certain way. It's not that at all, because Toni Morrison comes to mind when I think about soft black women Mm. who who whose body is not this particular aesthetic whose work is certainly, you know, not this particular idea. And Toni Morrison, from her fully seated self, from her fully soft embodied self, could say the hardest things for people to hear, but be fully seated. She's she's doing this interview and, and they're talking about race, which is hard to talk about. And she says, she says, um, this isn't a proper, this isn't the best quote, but she basically says something like, if 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 the only way that you're you can be big is for me to be on my knees, you know, that's a problem. But she's sitting back, like, you know, mm. just saying it just regular, like, like she's talking about cookies or Kool-Aid or something. You know, if that's the only way that you can be big. And then she says, and if we take away your race, you know, what do you have? Just with your little self, you know, it's just, it just, when I think about some of those interviews where she's saying these really big, profound things, but she's fully embodied, you know, softness is not talking about, you know, just saying gentle things. Mm -hmm. It's the state and condition of my body is so seated, is so well, is so supported. I feel so safe inside my body that I can say these very hard things even when it's time for that. And Mm -hmm. I don't have to get up out of my seat to say it, which usually means that my body is, you know, having some type of trauma response or some type of trigger. I love that so much. Thank you for breaking that down and just bringing in all these incredible women too. And I I don't know who started this terminology around like being seated within oneself or standing, but it it reminds me like from an embodied perspective of of like anytime we're in pushing, I always like I catch my own body. I'm like leaning forward. Mm-hmm. I'm like ready to pounce. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And that that my nervous system is in a more activated place or it's more alert or vigilant. Mm -hmm. And there is, it's like, I feel when you're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, this this is like a presence, right? You could say energy, but like when, when you're, when your energy is seated within yourself, it's not kind of like out pushing. It's not like leaning forward too hard. Like you're mm-hmm. you don't you're not leaving yourself you're with mm-hmm. yourself um mm-hmm. and i love leaning into the back body the spine for that for any overachiever women or like high functioning like you know over functioning women who have had to maybe hold a lot of energy for their family mm-hmm. or whatever i think that there's something to learning like the back body has got us mm-hmm. and sometimes i even put a big oak tree, I put a divine masculine, I put a, a god or, you know, a deity, mm-hmm. whoever, whoever else I need back there. And that helps me to stay seated in myself because I have a tendency to like go out and move forward and, you know, that kind of yes. thing. So I, I've never heard it put like that, but I love that terminology. Just, yeah. Did you come up with that? That's, yeah, that, that is my language that, that I came to years ago I was on this panel with Michaela Angela Davis, who's uh, who considers she identifies as an image activist. She used to work for Essence magazine. Just 
she ghost wrote Mariah Carey's book. Um, just a brilliant, brilliant yeah. black woman. But I'm, I'm on this panel with Michaela Angela Davis that she's moderating. And I'm nervous because it's Michaela Angela Davis. Mm-hmm. And, and Erica Alexander is sitting right next to me who played Maxine Shaw from Living Single. So I'm like, what am I doing on this panel? What's happening here? <laughs> I'm so nervous. And I am like, you know, pushing forward. Like I'm my, there's a knot in my stomach and I feel myself sitting forward. I'm on guard. I'm, you know, like I'm trying to prepare for like, what am I going to say next? You know? And I, but I'm also, you know, observing the other brilliant women that are on this panel with me. And Michaela Angela Davis is so relaxed in her body that I, that it makes me relax a little bit more. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like she she has no question at all that whatever she's about to say is worthy, is credible, is mm. right. It will it will move things forward. She, mm. There's no question at all. I don't know if that is the case, but that's the way that her energy feels to me is that she is. And I and I'm watching her. And in my mind, I think what a fully seated woman, mm. you know. Yes, I'm sitting up in my seat like this, you know, f- sitting forward because I'm on guard. But she's like, even if that's not what she's actually doing, that's what it feels like. Like she's leaned back in the chair with a slight, you know, slouch. Like I know that I'm good. I'm held by, you know, whatever is back here. So I love okay. you, you know, thinking about what is holding me, you know, whether it's a tree, whether it's God, whether it's, you know, some divine energy, right? But I'm held. And that is kind of the beginning of me trying to formulate, you know, more language around how to exist that way for myself. And then how do I share this with other people, particularly black women? Um, yeah. And and I, I, I say particularly black women because, you know, we've talked about this before. We even talked about this in the last podcast episode that I did with you, that there is this unique you know, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw gives us the language of intersectionality. There is this unique experience that Black women are having that it is, we share it with other women and femmes. We share that experience. But, you know, as a result of being both Black and femme, you know, there is this other layer of somethingness that's happening. And so, yeah. so I'm interested, you know, for the last several years in how many other women, particularly Black women, struggle with sitting down completely mm-hmm. and and feeling safe because we exist in this, you know, androcentric, masculine, you know, patriarchal society where we do kind of have to exist like on guard all the time. Right. What does it look like and who do we look like and who do we get to be if we really cultivated an inner, you know, reality for ourselves that's like, what however I respond, I'm gonna respond from here because mm-hmm. it just feels better mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the way that it feels when I have to sit up or when I have to stand up. So right. yeah, some of that that language comes from, you know, just me thinking over the years, like, what does that look like? What is that called? And you know, who has that? I want that. I love that. And if anyone here ever uses that, you better cite Ebony Janice because <laughs> She believes in citations and I love that. And she influenced me. She, I, I shared a video she put on Instagram about citations and, you know, and social media is like, uh, I don't know, a citation 
scare scarcity of mm-hmm. citation hell. I don't know what to call it, but um, yeah. I just really appreciated how, and and I'm saying this for everyone listening. Like Ebony Denise was like, even if you okay, now I'm 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 paraphrasing, citing you, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but even if you have an inspiring conversation with a friend, mm-hmm. and then you want to go write a newsletter, a blog, or story in your book, or something, or a post on Instagram that you write that, that you write. Mm-hmm. I was having a great conversation with my friend, Ebony mm-hmm. Janice yesterday, and we were mm-hmm. talking about bloody blah. Um, and that I love how you were like, cause every idea comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I say and the spark, the spark deserves this, citation. The yes. spark. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love mm-hmm. that quote. The spark deserves citation. So meaning the spark is like where, like the little, yeah. where it comes from. Mm-hmm. The Like, like it doesn't even matter if we're talking about frogs and tomorrow I write about black art. If, if us, if what was happening in that conversation took my mind to this thing that I'm now talking about tomorrow, I must bring you into the conversation because I didn't arrive there without you. Right. And so citation is important to me, not even from it. Um, I don't have a problem with the ego. So yes, some of it might be ego, right? I said that, why are you lying? Like you said it when you know right. I said That's it, right? Like some basic, of it may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fully allowed. It is. <laughs> But but also, I I believe so deeply in citation because citation makes you credible. It it says to whenever I bring other people into the conversation, it says to anybody reading what I'm writing or listening to what I'm saying, it says that I've been in community with other people who are helping me to come to this conclusion. And also it says that I've been thinking about this th- longer than just this moment, right? right? So you don't have to ever believe that I'm just off the seat of my pants, you know, bullshitting, making something up out of nowhere because just in this conversation, I've brought Alice Walker in, I've brought, you know, uh, Toni Morrison in, I brought you in several times, yeah. you know, I've brought, I've brought, you know, the frog in, you know, I brought so many, so yeah. many people and ideas that I've been thinking this through with that, that if you are listening or if you're watching this, you, you can now trust me more because I've come, I didn't just come by myself to say these things. I brought the community of folk with me to say, this is what we've been thinking about. And so the spark, yeah. even if where we where we started and where I arrived feels like two different things. By bringing you into that conversation, I'm saying I have been thinking about this. Yeah. I, I have put thought into this. I've I arrived at this because of this. And the 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 other piece about citation I think that's so important too is that it is just ethical. It's it's ethical in that it in that it says maybe I'm not the first person to think this. So let me tell you how I arrived here. Right, so that, right, you know, right. Like, like somebody else has been thinking about this. I said something really what I that I thought was really profound a couple years ago. It just came up in my memories. I was thinking about how the Muslim call to prayer sounds a lot like the deacons of my church growing up, the way that they used to sing the devotionals. It sounds so much alike. 
Like even to the point that I I couldn't tell you what the Muslim call to prayer, what those words are, because that's not the language that I speak. I simultaneously cannot tell you what those deacons were, deacons were singing because so much of it is moaning and humming. And so I asked this question, this is the ethical way to enter the conversation. I say, has anyone ever published on this thing that I've been thinking about? I've never seen this before. That's that's my way of saying, not erasing everybody that's thought about this before me because right. I'm making the assumption that somebody else has been thinking about this. And as soon as I posted that, somebody tagged the author of this incredible um, documentary in my comment section who has been thinking about this. And I'm like, wow, I... I wouldn't have even known that this existed. It's just a thought that came to my mind. But it's like I'm being in I'm I'm just being in community with people who who are also thinking about this. And I'm not trying to enter into this conversation like I'm the first person to ever be thinking about softness. I'm right. the first person to ever be thinking about, you know, the fully seed itself or, you know, I'm not the first person to ever think this. But this is how I arrived at this thought. And yeah. so I just feel like it makes me more trustworthy, to, you know, knowing that I have integrity and that, I, that I'm entering this conversation in an ethical way. Okay, so I just want to take a quick break from the episode to share about one of my affiliate partners, Chakrubs, the original crystal sex toy company. You may have seen me share about them on Instagram or in the press, because I have, because I love them. <laughs> Vanessa Cuccia, who is the founder of the company, and she was also a guest on this podcast in episode six, She really pioneered the idea of using crystals for heightened sexual and spiritual intimacy. Each chakra is handcrafted from 100% natural crystal, and they're completely body safe. And the store carries a wide array of products that infuse your energetic field with the subtle energy that the crystal of your chakra holds. Using a chakra over time can help build sensitivity and reawaken subtle sensations within your body. Yay! (laughs) I have personally used them for years and I love their products. And over the last few years, I've recommended them to many clients and survivors of sexual trauma, not only for exploring their self-pleasure, but for healing, releasing blockages, feelings held in the body, and rebuilding and reawakening their relationship to sexuality and sensuality over time. And also they are these beautiful objects which you can put like on an altar and some way in your home to really um, embrace them. Use the link in the show notes and the code is Love at checkout to receive a 10% discount in the store. Big love and enjoy. It's amazing. I mean, it's huge and it's, it's just such an important thing that you're bring, you brought into my awareness. Not that I wasn't in my awareness, but not with the specificity that you brought. So my next question is where I've gotten stuck is, do I text the person and ask their permission to kind of publicly be inspired by them and ask if they want to be included in a newsletter or a post or something? Or do I just do it? Do I tag them? Do I use their last name? If we're talking, if we're not talking about like mm-hmm. Alice Walker, I'll say like, you know, mm-hmm. Dr. Estes, Marianne Woodman, you know, obviously with those people, it's different, but with private conversations, because I've gotten really angry about this with when people have had private conversations with friends and then they will share about it either with my name and I'm like, excuse me, I was just thinking about that as a new concept I'm exploring with mm-hmm. myself. Or they don't put my names. And I've actually just swallowed it several times because I'm just mm-hmm. like, 
nobody owns your idea, Alexandra, just because you guys were talking about that, that dinner, you know, or like uh, someone I knew she like, I, I was writing a series of poems that started the same way. And then she wrote a, a poem that started the same way, you know, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. she's inspired by me. That's cool. But anyway, mm-hmm. so, so questions. Do you ask the friends? Do you want to be included in okay. here? Do you put last names if they're not public people or, you know, leaders or authors? Um, do you tag them? Tell us. Tell mm-hmm. us. Okay. I love that question for a lot of reasons. Number one, I think that, number one, I need to say this. If somebody uses your work and they don't cite you, you absolutely have the right to say, this is something that I'm thinking about in private. Can you reword this? Or would you consider, you know, taking this down because I'm, this is forthcoming. And when we talked about it, it wasn't, I wasn't ready for it to be public. Yeah. So I, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. A part of, of course, their response can be not desirable. Right. Because people can respond however they want to respond. But for me, I don't, I just don't think there's anything wrong with me saying, I had a friend recently post, um, something that came from my grandmother for sure. And my grandmother, cause I say it all the time that I got it from my grandmother and, but my grandmother was incited and it's a girlfriend of mine. My assumption was not that she was being malicious. My assumption was that she either forgot where she heard that from or that she just needed to be reminded that Emma Jane Baxley needed to be cited if you're going to post this publicly. And so I just slid into her text messages and said, girl, this is my grandma. So give my grandma credit. And she didn't have any problem whatsoever with that. Right. She was like, I couldn't remember where I heard it from. Okay. And and I and I think there's information in the response from that person, right? If the totally. person is like, I don't have to take this down. I thought this before you, you know? Yeah. You can just read the information there, you know? Right, you don't have right, to right, fight right. them. You don't have to fist fight over it. It just could be like, oh, okay, I got it. I'm clear. Right. So, so I want to say that. The other thing is, I think that with the work that I'm doing, that you're doing, and that I imagine a lot of the people who are part of this community are doing, we're learning to trust our intuition. Some of that is is even inside that softness conversation, right? That as I do the work to heal my nervous system, I'm not as knotted in my stomach. Mm -hmm. So my gut, you know, is even healthier and yeah. more balanced and more in alignment. And so there, there are times when I'm going to post something and I can just discern, you know, I could trust my gut that is this something that I should include this information, this conversation, right? Just learning yeah. to really actually tune into my intention. Why am I posting this? Why am I saying this? Why am I, this was a private conversation. What is my purpose with bringing this public? Right. So I think there's that. And I yeah. that feels maybe a little, you know, deep, whatever, but I don't think that there's I think tapping into that, like, what is my intention? Yeah. And how do I how do I feel in my body? You know, do I really trust that this is something that I should be sharing publicly? And and so and so even if it's not, I think there's a way to, you know, work around it without verbatim quoting a thing that maybe come came from one of my friends or came from a private discussion. Right. And but I think that if you say something publicly that you, your original or the originating thought or the spark came from someone else, 
you should cite them no matter what. So if that means that you might need to ask a question, I'm, yeah. I'm, I have a really good friend who is a public intellectual, but she's extremely private. So our private conversations, I'm very intentional about making sure I ask her before I want to talk about this in my next lecture, or I want to, I'm right. going to put this in the book. You know, what do you think about that? Cause I know how private she is. And then there are some of my friends that I just will screenshot something and share of theirs because it's like, I mean, if you don't want the world to know that you were a comedian, you shouldn't have said that in my text message. So, <laughs> so I, do, totally. I do think that it's, yeah. yeah, it's like a, like, how do I, you know, but, but no matter what, I don't think that there's ever a time and, and you need to do it every time. You know, if, if, if I, if I'm talking about something and that idea Perfect example is the conversation around softness. That is that is my language that I arrived at, you know, in pursuit of softness, a, a chance to be soft specifically. Yeah. How often do I give you credit for the work that I was doing that helped me to arrive at that language? So frequently, so Thank frequently. Thank you. It's really kind. I feel very loved for, and cared for. And you don't, you know, I'm like, oh, she you. doesn't need to. She doesn't need to. Really? <laughs> And, and, and I don't, I don't do it for, you know, clout or anything, you know, it's, it's literally just a part of my ethical practice is that I didn't, I didn't arrive at, I remember that conversation so clearly. I was angry with you for the majority of the conversation and then get to the end of the conversation. What, you know, what is it that you really, what's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's underneath that? What I really want is a chance to be soft. I did not arrive at that language on my own. It was as a result of deep work that I was doing in this coaching. So yeah. for me to bring that up every time is my, um, you know, it's not, I'm not, pay, I can't pay you back, but I'm, but I'm, I'm citing the spark because it is valuable to me that people know that it's levels and layers to it. It's valuable to me that people know that part of the way that I came to the language of softness was through a white woman. It is important to me that people know that. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. You know, we've I've yeah. talked about this in the past about how I'm able to arrive. Like there's certain conversations that we've had that I've sat back as a black woman and heard you talk about. It, and I'm just like, never thought of it. Never <laughs> would have crossed my mind. Never would have crossed my mind. And so a part of my teaching, a part of that practice is to bring you into that conversation because I didn't arrive here on my own. <laughs> I know it's interesting though, when you add in in like payment, you know, because for me, I'm kind of like, it's yours. Anything that comes mm-hmm. out of my mouth in our time together, you know, is yours. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring it in. You know, I wouldn't if I'm mm-hmm. going to have some great idea, I wouldn't bring it in. But I'm kind of like mm-hmm. in the sessions when I'm with working with women, I am I'm a channel and a mirror a lot of mm-hmm. uh, in moments. And so it's 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 both. And like I would I I don't expect if people, if people just like, I'm sure it's similar with you. If you say something that's like a big part of your personal ethos or something that mm-hmm. you live by that you're teaching someone for the first time. Yeah. Credit me. But if I'm just there helping you discover you, that's you. I just help peel mm-hmm. back the layers, you know? So I think of myself more in that regard as the the layer peeler or the, you know, the, the, the flashlight. Peeler. I'm just like pointing <laughs> the flashlight into you. But I I love that. But I, I, so I'll say this, some of my background too, you know, could, as you're saying that some of my background is, I'm thinking that this could be influenced by this. I grew up in the black church 
And there is a particular time um, in my upbringing in the church where if the pastor is up preaching and it is so good that, you know, after this moment, I won't be the same. We're taught that you sow into that moment right then and there. So there is a a time in the charismatic black Christian church where during the sermon, you would go into your purse or your pocket or your pocketbook and get out money. And while the preacher is still preaching, you would go to the altar and put money at the altar as a gift to the preacher. This is a like you're tipping mind. a musician or something. <laughs> That's a way to think of it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure your preacher would not appreciate that. But, you know. <laughs> Well, someone's giving their gift, right? Like music is a gift from God. Preaching right, is right. Gift from, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone's giving mm-hmm. their gift and you're be you're you're creating a relationship with it in that moment. Not Absolutely. Just so it's such it's what you said about, you know, being a channel. Whatever the pastor is saying, it it, it probably came from the Bible, so it doesn't belong to the pastor, right? right? But but the pastor is supporting or ushering in or you know, channeling or helping us, those of us in the audience to move from one condition to the next or to move from one understanding to the next. So in these moments, when you're having a conversation with someone, particularly, right, I'm I'm in this relationship with you as the, the person being coached or being supported or however we, you know, whatever language you're using. Because I don't know what language we used. <laughs> I called you something different every time I talked yeah. about you. Perfect. But, <laughs> but there's there is something happening. It is transformative. What what you the way you've held space then is transformative. I'm paying you monthly, you know, so it isn't payment, but a part of what I'm doing to honor how you are both helping me move from you know, one idea to the next, one condition to the next, you know, how how the space that you're holding is helping me to give birth to something that is inside of me, right? It This language is coming from me. A chance to be soft came from me. You did not give me that language, but the space that you held so graciously and so uh, gently and so in, in such a nurturing way m- made it possible for the language of a chance to be soft to come forth. So the very, in my mind, then the very least I can do is whenever I talk about this thing that did come from inside of me that I can honor, like I can bring my offering to the altar where Alexandra is. And I can say, thank you. Thank you. The next time I talk about it, thank you. Thank you. Because especially because it's so profound, it's, it's such a, it's such a, like my life is not the same yeah. before this moment of pursuing softness, you know, before mm-hmm. this moment of having the revelation that what I want is a chance to be soft. And then at which point I have that revelation, then I go in pursuit of softness. You just have such integrity. I, and I just, I just, I think that I'm like, Ooh, where have I not done that? And I've asked myself this question a lot. I asked myself this question a lot about being in integrity. And I've definitely slipped in the many years that I've shared publicly and written publicly. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to clean up my messes at times, et cetera. But hearing you, I'm like, wow, who, like, how many people do I know besides you that live at that level of integrity? Like, I've done it wrong. 
I've done it wrong before too. And well, so, I'm sure you have, but right now you're giving like this prime example. Well, of- it's the revelation though. It's the revelation though, because now that you are coming into this knowing for yourself and like yeah. thinking about it, like, Ooh, you're going to, you are doing better and you're going to do better. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that it's at which point I come to that revelation of like, Ooh, <laughs> this is problematic. There, there is a, a better way for me to, you know, ensure that I'm bringing everybody into the conversation. And and another major thing that inspired that is when my grandmother transitioned, I I realized that um, whenever I, the, this is the ego piece, but it's very real, it's very deep and spiritual too, that when people would be talking and they would be saying things that they got from me, they, a lot of that was my grandmother. So mm-hmm. when you don't cite me, you're not citing my grandmother. And that for me is a no-no, right? It's mm-hmm. like, bring my grandmother's name into this conversation. Even if by bringing my name into this conversation, you bring my grandmother's name into this conversation because my grandmother was a poor black woman from Talladega, Alabama. You know, she didn't have a lot. She did a lot with what little she had. And at the very least, her legacy should be able to live on in her wisdom and her knowledge. So citation, when I really started looking at it from that way, then I have to look inward and be like, well, whose grandma did I leave out the conversation? Right. You know, whose elders, whose ancestors am I leaving out the conversation when I just say this brilliant thing like Nikki Black didn't say something to me last week that made me think of that. You know, it's unfair to her elders, her ancestors to not honor them in that way. Because I don't play about Emma Jane Baxley. Like, if I hear you say something that my grandmother said or that I know as a result of my grandmother and her wisdom, I might fight you with fists. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just, I mean, it's amazing. I think as a little exercise, I'm like, if I looked around this room, what would I cite? Let's say not intellectual property or ideas, but I'd be like, oh, my my grandma introduced me to Mary. This is like Lourdes Mary. I have a little statue behind me, you guys. And France, my grandma, my Brazilian grandma's name is Vava Lourdes. And so like, I definitely, you know, it's like, what else in my room, like in my space, in my hair, my clothes, you know, like my other grandma had red hair, dyed her hair red, wore red nails and red lips. And like that, I just always resonated with that. Anyway, that this is, it's more of, I think, it's it's a looking at life in general as instead of like this consumeristic capitalistic, what can I take? What can how you know? And it's instead going, how have I been deeply loved, influenced, uh, impacted? And it's everywhere, everything, all the choices we make, you know. Um, and I and I love just that when you brought that in, I'm like citation it's like so it's like you're bringing it in as a holistic way of seeing ourselves right not as these individuals which is so american you know it's like well this is just mine 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 no ours ours you know um anyway i appreciate you going into that and i want to talk about more about your book now um and um i also just want to say your website looks gorgeous if you guys um, haven't seen Ebony Denise's website. It looks so beautiful. And I love all of the, the, the choice of the flowers and stuff. Anyway, tell us from like an author. Um, and also what titles are feeling good to you right now? But like that question, plus what made you choose to create a website and a book, um, cover that 
are so like they're just like beauty. It's a book that has the word activist on the activist on the cover, but it's lavender and it has all these flowers. And like you look like, you know, a goddess for lack of better word, overused word, but on the website. So tell us about that. I want to hear. I love it. All the black girls are activists. <laughs> the when I think about what the book cover, the many things that the book cover could have looked like. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, there's a Pinterest board for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it it could have looked like, you know, me on the cover being cute. You know, it could have looked like um, a little girl with an, you know, a little black girl with an Afro. And, you know, it could have looked like flower crown. It could have looked like so many things. And I, and I thought about all those things. I, even one of my pens in this particular board is a all the books that have black girl or black woman in the title. And I put all those books in one board so that when I sent it to my publisher, I could be like, well, you know, this is what black women and girls are doing with their titles. And then, but before, before I made that choice, I thought to myself, what feels really important to me is a timeless cover, you know, a a book cover that when you see it, it makes you feel what I really want people to resonate with the most. And when my publisher was asking me, you know, for like some marketing materials, one of the, they asked me which chapter is the chapter that I want people to read no matter what. Like if you could choose one chapter, one one essay that's like this, if you didn't read any other this is the one that really speaks to. And it was the In Pursuit of Softness chapter. Yeah. And um, as I started to think about that more, that that's the one that, you know, I love every essay. There's no throwaway essay. It isn't even my favorite essay, as a matter of fact. But that is the one um, that's such a major piece to me that I'm like, this essay really speaks so much to, you know, if if Black women could get softness and if the world could understand Black women's um, how much Black women deserve softness, that that things would radically change just globally for us. And mm. so that that felt very important to me. So I started thinking then about softness. The, the book cover was always going to be purple because Alice Walker, the final part of the definition is womanism is to feminism as purple is to lavender. So that is, you know, oh. a part of the definition anyway. So it was going to always be some shade of purple was going to be there. That's a very womanist color. And then... But then the flowers that are on the book cover um, came in because the book designer took the essay that I gave and um, somewhere else in the book, I'm talking about how one of the unfair realities of being Black is that Black people, Black women in general, but as an artist, you very, there's, a, there's a quote I heard somebody in an audience at Princeton several years ago say, um, it's unfair that the black artist, the black femme artist doesn't get to ever just draw a flower. If a, if the black femme artist draws a flower, the world considers it a nigga flower. And so there's this element of, you know, oh. race, how 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 black people are raced, you know, no matter what. Other other people, particularly white people, get to be like an artist, but then when the black artist comes into the room, they're the black artist and then therefore their art is black art. And then therefore my my writing, Toni Morrison talks about this, my writing then is black writing or, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing, it is raced in some way. It, 
for for women across the board, we experience this, that everything that we do is gendered. So for Black women, we're both race and gendered and having to process, you know, all of that. And so... These, she she read she reads that and she's reading you know about the softness and she's like it just felt like flowers should be sprouting from the book cover and I said I feel like that's what should be happening to the book cover as well so if when I look at it it feels soft it feels beautiful it feels you know timeless I feel like 50 years from now I won't look back at this book cover and be like what was I thinking you know right, right, it right, feels right. like a like 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 I, I, I love it so much. I'm so, I'm so proud of the book and it, it feels definitely like a reflection of what's happening on the inside of it too. Yeah. I love it. What would you like to be called at this iteration of your work? Because I just want people to know, I mean, Ebony Denise has done a lot of stuff. You have lived many lives. You've had different identities. I mean, the work that you do, I was looking over your website again today and I was like, oh, right. You have the, um, the Emma's Legacy Foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will you tell us which a little is named bit about after my grandmother? Yeah. yeah, Emma's Legacy Foundation is which is named after my grandmother, Emma Jane Baxley. And under Emma's Legacy Foundation falls a project called A Year of Black Joy, which is, you know, consistently focusing on black joy as a central theme that black people have a right to have access to. Um, black joy is also important to me and for us because um from an anti-racist perspective, it's impossible for you to sustain your reality as an ally or as a so-called ally if the only way that you show up to the party is when there's Black death or grief or violence. Our joy has to be a central part of your work as an ally, that you have to love seeing Black people, you know, excited and happy and, you know, yeah. in, in our pleasure and in our bliss. And that's the only way that it's actually sustainable without more death having to happen before you show up to the scene. So Your Black Joy, Dream Yourself Free, which is a six month intensive that I've created to support Black women in their spiritual journey. And so it's like a masterclass intensive that I bring in some of my favorite Black femme healers and thinkers to support these women into really learning how to dream. And then Black Girl Mixtape, which is a multi-platform safe think space. Um, that I that I founded several years ago, initially as a, a lecture series, but now it's a creative space for uh, some of my faves, you know, my favorite writers and thinkers and healers have come together and we've been working for the past um, a little over two years on a play called The People Could Fly, which is a Afrofuturistic womanist retelling of a true story, The Rebellion at Evil Landing. Um, and so... So I don't mind the language of black very clearly. I don't, I don't feel, I love being a woman. I love being a black woman. It is a very, you know, unique identity that I get to exist in. If I, when I transition, if I reincarnate I and I had the chance to come back as a human being again, I come back as a black woman again. And I just don't mind at all the language of, you know, being black, but what I what I really want to be known as is a free woman on a love journey. I know? love that. Yeah. And it's poetic. And you I mean, I'm I'm like listening to all this and you also do many other things like she has a beautiful mm-hmm. other book um, of sacred texts. It's called Sacred mm-hmm. Sacred Texts to keep on your altar. Sacred Texts for Black Folk Soul. Yeah, a book soul, on your altar. which I bought yeah. it, even though I'm not black. So but <laughs> so you can anybody can buy it. Um, yeah, anybody can buy it. Ebony Janice also does work in Kenya supporting girls school there right 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, you yeah. do a lot of stuff. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, not that I need to put you in a box. It's not about putting you in a box, but I'm like, is she visionary? Is she just all around artist? Is she just all around creator? Like, is like the title, the, uh, you're also a manifester, right? Yeah, very much so, in, yes. In human design. We're both manifestors. Yeah, human design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I have not, like, my, my my resume is a little bit different. But how do you put yourself, like, I? does it feel like a free woman on a love journey? Like, or do you think of yourself as a thought leader? Do you think of yourself as a change maker? Do you think of yourself as a visionary, like, as an artist, like, when you feel into like your career, and I'm asking this because I think a lot of mm-hmm. people, listeners, probably do many different things and have different mm-hmm. talents. And like maybe it falls under some similar thematics, which you've alluded to, but it's not like a job title. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious about that part for you. Yeah, I don't have, I used to have that very much so. Like I want, is it clear what I'm doing? Have I properly branded, you know, all of that? <laughs> felt very important to me. And that's how I accidentally became successful doing something I didn't mean to do because I was trying to be so on brand that Uh I woke up one day and, you know, the money was cute. Yeah. I do want to say that the money was cute. (laughs) And, and I didn't mean to do that. You know, I didn't, that's not, that's not what I was, what I set out to do, you know? So I I don't feel invested in a title or a label at all. And that um I, I tell this story very quickly. When when Kobe Bryant died, and, and I, I want to say I wasn't even necessarily a Kobe Bryant fan in that way. It just uh Nipsey Hustle was murdered in March, March 31st, 2019. And then later that year, Chadwick Bozeman died, and then early 2020, um Kobe Bryant fell out the sky. And so there were like these three back to back to back deaths of these ideas kind of that felt really important to me as someone who's very much a part of, like I call call myself a hip hop womanist. So like, this is my culture. This is my community. And it, and, but when Kobe died, I couldn't breathe for like a week. I was like, kind of a little bit of an atheist. <laughs> and my my oldest sister was like, maybe you should stay offline because you sounded like, you know, you're a minister and people can't hear you say, talking like this because I really, every time I would talk, I would just be like, we just out here. We just out here. There's no point. We just out here. We just out here. I just like kept repeating that. I couldn't understand how you could just do something that you do every day and just fall from the sky. I couldn't get my brain to reconcile it. And so... A couple weeks into that feeling, I I had been praying, even though I, you know, was right on the border of atheism. (laughs) Um, Not really. I'm being a little dramatic because, you know, I have never not believed in God, but I, but I was very angry and confused with like, what is the point? You know, what is the point of all this? And what came to me is there's no point, but your purpose It's just, just no point. Like, we're all going to die. <laughs> We're all going to get up out of here. We do not know the time at all. So this very Western, honestly, but this way that we've been socialized into a career or a path or a thing or, you know, 
this is what you should focus on. This is what will make you happy. And I've, I've done all these things and been wildly successful in so many of these things and even made lots of money, lots and lots and lots of money. And to wake up and realize that none of that satisfied my soul was like, okay, well, I want to, um, I want to radically, drastically shift from that model of I'm pursuing this thing, this path, this career, this idea. I'm not pursuing any of that. I am pursuing freedom. I want to be free. If that means that next year I do another podcast with Alexandra and y'all find out that I'm a shake dancer at strip club down the street, that is what is bringing me freedom and peace and ease at the time. And this is where I am on this journey called life. I am here now. That's what I'm doing. I'm very dedicated to it. I'm very committed to it. And whatever story anybody else has about what that means about me is not my business. It's not my business at all. Because what I know, my I am here to figure out how to return to myself. That is my, my freedom, my liberation journey is wrapped up in that. I will be free when, hopefully in this body, I get to experience new levels of that. But, you know, be- before I return to the eternal or, you know, evolve, whatever that will look like for me. But there's nothing else that's more important to me than identifying as a free woman on a love journey. That's it. I want to be free and and I want to do it all in love, you know, and certainly romantic love is a part of that. But my relationships, you know, with people, you talked about integrity, like this deep level of integrity. A part of that too is that I, that I don't want to cause harm to people. I know what it feels like to not be properly cited, right? I know what it feels like. I've seen people go viral doing stuff that came from me. I started it. I've seen people go viral. I've seen, there's a girl who was featured on MTV doing something that literally, she Mm. follows me on social media. She got it from me. Mm. MTV never invited me to do the thing that I do. But, so I know what it feels like for someone to harm you in that way. Mm -hmm. So all of it is love. You know, it's like if love is at the center of every single thing that I do, Mm. I know that I won't. I won't do anything wrong then. You know, I, I can't go wrong because right. it was in love. And even when even when it isn't perfect or so-called successful, I still have myself, you know, my my whole self is still here. I didn't have to give up a part of my soul or my being or my mm-hmm. integrity or, you know, in order to arrive at this moment, you know. So a free woman on a love journey. I don't I love- know what that will mean for me this time next year. You know? I love it. I and I forgot you're a minister. I am. I will preach. <laughs> She's a minister. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you don't need anybody to give you any, you know, proclaim you any titles. But I, the more s- s- spiritual leaders, especially black women, like in the spiritual mm-hmm. space, like the more the better. And there's definitely a deficit, you know. Um, when I like, we've definitely talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, kind of like force you onto that pulpit, but, um, I, I hope that your book gives you opportunities to be in rooms where, or on panels or on, you know, summits and conferences with other, you know, quote unquote, modern spiritual leaders, because yeah, there are, 
uh, there are some great people out there right now, but there's still not enough, you know, in comparison, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in comparison. Mm-hmm, for sure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I do sure. think that your spiritual philosophy um, of love being your religion and your pursuit mm-hmm. of freedom and love is really um, something a lot of people can relate to, but it's super grounded and it's not just coming through like a woo-woo lens. It's like very mm-hmm. grounded in the body. Um, and in history and in your history. Mm-hmm. And so I know mm-hmm. all that's going to come through in your book. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for it. And I just, I, I'm mindful of the time and I could keep asking you many, many things. Were there any other things about the book that you want to share? I mean, I want to tell people, buy it as a gift for your family, for your friends, Get it for everyone, you know, it's super easy to do. (laughs) Yes. Everything that you just said, buy my book. Um, EbonyJanice.com. Janice looks like Janice, but it's Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E. And um, I, I, I feel really excited for this book because I, I believe that it will exist in the canon, you know, for, it will exist in the canon forever, but I believe that it'll be transformative for so many people. And even, even though it's called all the black girls are activists, um, the subtitle of it is a fourth wave womanist pursuit of dreams as radical resistance. There's, there's, there's no movement for justice, for equality, for wholeness that doesn't actually originate from black women across the globe, actual scholars and historians will acknowledge how much black women's uh, liberation movements, particularly um, from slavery as you know, in, in the U S as a result of chattel slavery, that black women really have created so much of the ethic and the praxis that other movements, the queer uh, LGBTQ community, you know, the uh, disability movement. There's so many movements for justice across the globe that have taken um, the theory, the ethic and the praxis or, and learned from Black women. And so when when you hear Black women being centered in my work or just in general, you never have to feel like there's nothing here for you because if we're talking about Black women being whole, being free, you could just look back through this conversation that you and I have been having to see that I'm talking about black women. I'm talking about a very unique experience that black women have, but your womanhood has not been erased from that discussion because so many of those same things that black women experience, you experience it in a different way, of course, because you are not a black woman, but of course you experience those things as well. right? Right. So if black women at the intersection of our identities of both blackness and our womanhood, if black women get free and well and have access to softness and ease and our loudness and our dreams, guess who else will absolutely be included in that reality? Hmm. All other women and femmes. Yeah. There's, there is no, no way that black women will get free from this on our own in a anti-black patriarchal white supremacist society and white women did get free too, you know, and Asian women did get free and too, and native women didn't get free too. Right. So, so that's the, the, the thing that's so profound about um, this book, I think, 
is that even though I'm focused on I'm and I'm centering Black women's experience, there are all these other, you know, identities and ideas that's wrapped up in what does it look like if we all were just pursuing softness? You know, what does it look like if we all were, there's a, there's a chapter called in pursuit of my ancestors. If there is nobody on the planet that needs to do deep healing work with their ancestors, white people need to be doing deep healing work with their ancestors. Right. Yeah. So of course I'm talking to black women and about black women, but all people are able to, um, see both how they can be supportive of co-creating a just and equitable society where Black women can have access to dreams and softness and ease and play and pleasure and wellness and our ancestors. And simultaneously, how does this impact me as well as, you know, possibly a non-Black woman? Yeah. When Black women are free, we all will be free. Oh, thank you. Thanks for bringing your wise, wise soul generosity here to the podcast for a second time. We are going to buy your book and support it. You guys share stories, post it online. I know from putting a book out there, it takes a village. It really is a community experience. Um, It can be frightening and it's also beautiful and like sharing it and being generous about that. It feels so good. I mean, I will always look back on the time when my first book came out and how many people were like sharing stories and DMing me. So please do that with Ebony Denise when her book comes out. Yes, 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 please. And and even before, we don't know when before. this podcast will be released, but yeah, certainly share. That is the f- most free way to support this work. It's so free to just share yeah. the book. It's it so is so free. free. To- no, so free. So I yeah. appreciate your support and and pre-orders, particularly, you know, for um, for women of color is so necessary because larger book chains determine whether or not they will stock the book based on pre-order numbers. So you guys, so, this is where we really need you now. Buy the book now. Buy it for your people now. This is how we change the future of this country or several countries, but probably the book is going to be in the U.S. first. But we change, change. We we are dreaming up that future where like the books in the bookstore represent the amazing, incredible voices that exist. And that whoever the people are who are sitting in the corporate office at Barnes and Noble, like we get past, the, you know, those kind of whatever numbers that are needed. <laughs> Thank you for thank you for inviting me into your space now for a second time. I feel very special. Yes, of course. And I love and appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in and thank you, Ebony Denise. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.